road to ordination took so long because there was so much resistance from my own family. I went home one time and told my mom I needed to get ordained, and she said oh, literally over my dead body. But I don't see that, that bold public witness in the leaders who are currently established in Asian American ministries. Let's take Asian American Christianity beyond the four walls. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the 11th episode of When Women Preach. Our podcast is a resource for Asian American and Latina women preachers to help them preach more effectively. And we invite a variety of guests, usually also other Latina and Asian American women who are gifted in preaching and theology and ministry overall in that broad term. And today we have um, two guests. They are part of our upcoming Pastoral Lab faculty, our newest program for Asian American women ministers to receive training and mentoring and guidance in how to have a thriving ministry. So I will let our executive director, Young Lee Hertig, um, introduce both of them for us. We are super excited to have uh, Charlene and Marion, who are one of the best in Southern Cal in terms of their leadership, scholarship, and ministry. I have known Charlene. She is one of a kind. Not because she is a faculty at uh, University of Redland, but anybody, any Asian American woman in particular in academy who can say no to tenure track position, she's my kind. <laughs> because there are many who are climbers, you know, trying to climb, climb, climb. But she's got a big liver, even though she's petite. And Marianne, I call her an endangered species because she comes with three decades of ministry, an immigrant church, I guess, second-gen church you planted, co-planted in Seattle. And now she's been in Grace First Presbyterian Church, Long Beach, and longest-lasting staff there of a traditionally Japanese-American church merged with other ethnic group of people. Yeah, Marion, it sounds like you have traveled the world in terms of where your ministry has been. Um, you've gone from like an immigrant church to a second-gen church and now more of like a multi-ethnic church. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering if you could just tell us, um, how did God first call you to ministry and then how did God lead you to these different places? So I actually sensed God's call very early on. Um, we have this Christmas uh, pageant. Then this was in Korea, and I grew up in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. There's this thing that uh, I want to become something, and we would name what we become. And that was part of the program every single year. And I remember one year, I think I was only about seven years old, I remember thinking, why can't I not say I want to be the pastor? <laughs> and I, I, and I thought, well, wait a minute, how come I never get to say that? It was always, you know, the girls were designated as uh, deacons and as Sunday school teachers and as, you know, pastors' wives. But I remember thinking, I, I want to be able to be that pastor. So, um, uh, so I think that sense of call has always been with me. I didn't know that that was a possibility, that women could actually be a pastor. That stirring, I think, has ha- happened very early on for me. I didn't know that. I didn't know that to be true. And I'll be honest with you, I went to semin- seminary uh, partly because, <laughs> and this is a true story, my mom... <laughs> 
wanted me to become a pastor's wife, and she thought if I went to seminary, wow. I would find the pastor husband. <laughs> and so there was no sense of discernment, and then it just happened that these doors kept opening up for me. And I didn't really know why it kept opening up, you know. So I went to seminary thinking I went in as a MA in Christian education. After a year of study, I, I was invited to switch programs. So I switched to MDiv, still not thinking that uh, becoming a pastor was a possibility for me. But then this door just kept opening up. I mean, and now I look back and I know this is what God has called me is to be a pastor because I love it. And I really do feel called, but I, I do know that there was a lot of doors that God just opened up when I didn't even know that there were doors there. I do want to say that there was a lot of resistance for me in becoming an ordained person, partly because I, you know, my tradition is from uh, Orthodox Presbyterian where uh, they don't believe in women's ordination. So to be part of a family that doesn't encourage you in that sense of, you know, becoming an ordained person, it really was, uh, it, it, it was, it's been a struggle for me for a long time. So it did take me 10 years to be ordained out of seminary. <laughs> so, wow. I, I just wondered, you know, if those people who were at the pageant <laughs> so long ago could see you now, I wonder what they would say. I'm still in contact with some of my Sunday school friends back then, and they can't believe that I'm actually uh, a pastor. <laughs> where they are all Gwonsanims. <laughs> oh, well, so, God called you into really, it. <laughs> it's like, they still laugh at me. They're like, how did this happen? But I actually reminded them, remember that pageant that we are? And they're like, yeah. And you know, the one of them said, well, I always wanted to be the Gwonsanim. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> it turns out that all became Gwonsanims. <laughs> Except for you, Marion, you're the one who are sure of your calling. <laughs> but I agree with you. God does sort of open doors um, when we least expect it. And sometimes that is how God shows us what we're called to do. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, Charlene, tell us, did you know as a child you were going to be a pastor like Marion? Or was it, was it more of a process? For no, you? I mean, hearing uh, Marion's experience of like going to seminary, thinking she might find somebody to marry who's a pastor, and then she goes goes on and becomes one. <laughs> um, I was probably the kid maybe from youth group in college where people would say, you're probably going to be a pastor's wife. Uh, I was that category uh, young person. Um, I didn't grow up in a pastor's family. Nobody in my in my realm of relatives are in ministry, although we I grew up in the church. So I didn't see that as, you know, as, as an aspiration or didn't see examples of that, especially not of women, even having grown up in the church. Uh, but I recall when I was in second grade, uh, we were living in Hong Kong. And um, at that time, Hong Kong was a British colony. And so I was at a British school and I was new to this school. And one day the drama teacher pulled me aside after school and she said, there is a, uh, a, a big poetry competition that's happening in Hong Kong. And I want you to represent the school at this poetry competition. 
I was not a very, very outspoken person. I'm not theatrical or dramatic. But for some reason, she felt that I could do it. And for some reason, I said, sure, not knowing what I was getting myself into. And it was on a school day. And the school secretary drove me to this place where this contest was happening. And I could remember seeing all the parents that filled up this big auditorium kind of like sitting up high on their seats, trying to look at their child. And I remember seeing my mom had come on her own at a different route. And um, I had sprained my ankle the day before. And I insisted that I was going to wear like my good, like Mary Jane buckle. I'm I'm wearing my school uniform. I'm going to wear those shoes. I remember feeling my swollen foot inside this patent leather, you know, (laughs) Mary Jane buckle shoes. And making my way up to this big stage. And I remember I spoke the poem looking at the people's faces and I was not nervous at all. And my mom recalled and tells this story of how nervous she was and she could not believe that this little person was standing up there taking her time reciting this poem. And I had not thought about that in some time and hearing, you know, Marion talk about her going up and in the pad and saying, I'm going to be a pastor. I wonder if that's perhaps where my voice occupying a space like that began. And so like Marion said, perhaps we may not recognize the call is moving and, and kind of swelling every stage of our lives. And perhaps if we can hone in our desire, like to think of call as not like a voice coming from somewhere else, and it might be for some, it might be just recognizing our desires, being willing to walk openly with that desire. And I love Marion's image of doors opening, right? She said there were doors that I didn't even know where that those doors existed. So when the doors are opened, to be brave enough to at least peek in. You know, I didn't try to yank doors that weren't open to me. But when the doors were open, I was willing to step in closer and look. And I feel like I'm kind of blessed in that I feel like the the seed that happened to fall again and again on good soil, meaning communities that embraced, affirmed, challenged, and shaped me. And the last good soil that I got dropped into was when I left the academic kind of straight pathway and was called out of the blue to serve as an interim pastoral associate at a local Presbyterian church. And I said, I'm not really a pastor. I've been invited to preach because of my teaching career. You know, that's not my vocation. And they said, well, we know, but we'd like for you to come. So I came day one. The pastor who had been caring for this church without an associate for like six months went on vacation. So I stood in front of the congregation on my first day and welcomed them to the church. (laughs) And it felt like the most natural thing to do. And the people embraced me very naturally as the one who is welcoming them, who's been there for like some of them for 40, 50 years as the newest person 
among among them, and that led to a a wonderful year of being learning to be a pastor, being asked to fulfill these responsibilities that I had not really practiced before. Like Marianne said, like I loved it. Like I felt I could be freely myself. That I decided that I would inquire um, the path towards ordination to ministry. When we women are called to express our God-given calling, what do you think Asian American churches are missing out when they shun women, in, even though they don't know what they are missing? Well, I think they're missing out a lot. <laughs> Let's name it, Marianne. One of the challenges of being in an Asian American church, and for me, it was the Korean American church that I grew up, is that we're not encouraged to claim the gifts that God has given to us, you know, because there are roles that are defined and there are expectations that is placed before us because of our gender. And so, um, you know, the past gift of pastoral leadership is actually a wonderful gift that God has given. And if, if there are so many women who have that leadership, right? Yes. Who has the gift of leadership that that is not nurtured within the church. Uh, maybe for the, you know, women's group, maybe for the education part, but not for the whole church. And I think that they, you miss out when part, more than majority of your congregants are women. <laughs> and I don't care what church you are, probably, right? majority of the congregation is women and we are not honing in on these gifts that God has given to so many of these women of leadership, of claiming this pastoral, um, you know, affirming the pastoral gifts that people, that God has given to these pe these women. I, th I think that's the greatest miss more than anything else is the gift of leading others and the gift of leadership. I, I, I not recognizing the legitimacy, you know, not hearing their voices in session. I think lots of the conflict and the struggles of the Korean church, and I can only speak for the Korean American church is because, you know, men make all the decisions and then they go home and talk to their wives and their wives say, what do you mean? And then, you know, and there's this other thing going on over here that's illegitimate <laughs> and then you know and so the, the all of that is such a dysfunction and so it doesn't allow the church to be help you know to operate in a healthy way when you don't recognize the the voice uh and the gifts of more than half the congregation members i i think that's the greatest miss i would even name that as sin and and that's I think bold to for us to do that, but I think it is. I think when we don't allow someone to use all the gifts that God has given to that person in becoming, you know, fully alive, I, I do think that that we that we miss out. And it doesn't. And I think it's same thing not only for women. I think it's all for children too. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Diminish the role of the children thinking that they are the future church when they're actually the present church and, you know, all the gifts that they have to offer to us. Uh, so I think anytime we're not intentional about 
gathering a representation, a diverse representation in any kind of leadership, Marianne alluded to decision-making, for example, we miss out on not just different ideas or different sets of perspectives. We may miss out on really discerning God's will. So that limits the church community in, you know, kind of moving into the call of the church. I also want to say that uh, when women leadership are not welcomed, those women who have those gifts that are still yet growing will never know what their gifts will look like once they can flourish and blossom and grow fully into that. I, you know, I, I know that if I had stayed in my home church, which is a Korean American church where I was loved, where my spiritual formation has been, you know, um, importantly, you know, developed there. If I had stayed there, I would not be the person that I am today because whatever desires and abilities, curiosities I had would not have had a chance to fully grow and try out. I mean, you grow because you have a chance to practice before you've perfected anything or, you know, somebody needs to say, go ahead and try it. I remember when I was the director of Christian education at the first congregation, non-Korean congregation, you know, not a perfect context, but a context where I was embraced fully as all, all I am. And they and they asked me, oh, um, next week for six weeks, can you lead the men's Bible study? And these were men, many of them double my age, you know, uh, and they wanted me to lead the Bible study. I said, oh, why me? Well, you are the director of Christian education. <laughs> uh, okay. And then they invited me to, you know, preach the Sunday sermon. And I said, what? Not the children's sermon, but the, the main one? And then, yes, and on Easter Sunday. And it's those doors that opened. And I didn't say, oh, wait, I've never done that before. I looked and I said, you know what? I will, maybe my faithfulness is not to say, I'm going to kind of just humbly stay in the back. But perhaps my faithfulness is saying, yes, when the invitation is there, I will move in and claim. That's the word Marion used. Claim, not worrying about, oh, what would other people think of me? But saying, God is inviting me to this. I'm going to claim and occupy that space. Charlene, I really liked how you described not yanking open doors, but seeing where God was opening them and you know, patiently waiting for those opportunities, but then not hesitating either when those doors were opened. and. I was wondering, like, who are the people who uh, did open those doors for you? I think as Asian American women um, or women of color in general, like we all, sometimes it's easy to have like an attitude of scarcity and that, oh, there are enough doors for all of us. But it's like, no, we of all people should know what community does give to everyone. If everyone is like, you know, willing to give the limelight or, you know, um, space for everyone else to thrive, you know, acknowledge like whoever it was in your life that helped you along your ministry and open those doors for you. Yeah, I don't want to um, discourage women who feel that it is time to bang that door. <laughs> you know? right, right. Um, and maybe if the door doesn't open, you know, hammer your thesis <laughs> up on, on that door and, and leave and make your statement and, and find a new church. Uh, 
there are times for that, certainly. Um, I'm thinking of my high school youth group teacher. Her name is Won Hyun Yi. And uh, she is the first one who ever told me about something called seminary. <laughs> she did, you know, I grew up in, you know, more or less very evangelical, conservative Presbyterian church. And she was really involved in her college campus ministries. And she was like involved with navigators. And she wanted to, she needed to find somebody to do a one-on-one -on -one discipleship with because she had been discipled in that program and she chose me. And so she would come to my house once a week for like a year to go through this like binder of like <laughs> Bible studies with me. And she loved me. She loved me very much. And um, she had told me, you know, Charlene, I bet one day you're going to go to seminary. And I didn't even know what that was. <laughs> so I recently took a, a Bible content exam and I did okay with it. And I go back to that one year where I had to memorize like Bible <laughs> verses and repeat it for this teacher. Um that was an important part of my formation. She wasn't saying, Charlene, you're going to become an ordained minister and I'm going to you know, support you. She may have been had more conservative image of what ministry could look like for a woman at that time. But I think her kind of even saying that word and giving me that idea. Um, I'm also thinking as far as like, you know, not the banging door kind of strategy to walking into new spaces, but a very strategic, perhaps even subversive way. I learned that from uh, my doctoral advisor, who is an African-American preacher and theologian, Katie Cannon. Uh, she was a pioneer in her own right, in her whole field. She was the first uh, African-American female preacher in the Presbyterian Church, or ordained in the Presbyterian Church USA. First PhD Black woman out of Union Theological Seminary in New York. So yes, she has done some walking into some new doors or creating new doors. But her way, she always says, you know, look for the graces and gifts in people and walk in your own graces and gifts. And what I always remember from her is she always walked with such dignified humility. <laughs> I don't know if those are those actually go together. She had such a inner strength about her and it it comes from her very deep spiritual well that's a secret within her that she can walk into new spaces where there is a lot of resistance, sometimes you know, very blatant bigotry and walk in in her own graces and gifts and be willing to look at the graces and gifts in others. So that was her way of doing some radical things. I remember that posture and I and I imitate that in subconscious ways in the way that I approach moving into new spaces even in this ordination process which is not doors wide open certainly there are hurdles and there are um sometimes different forms of resistance that you experience as, as a woman, as a woman of color. 
I'm sure each of us can name lots of people, but I'd like to honor those two women who have been formative encouragers in my life. How about you, Marianne? Uh, I don't want to um, beat this door imagery to death, but <laughs> I didn't <laughs> I'm going to title this something with the door, so it's okay. <laughs> I think it's a generational thing. I love the fact that you widened to bang on the door. I think for me, I always felt like I was in the threshold, like with my feet on one side and one feet on the other side. Like I, because my ordination, the road to ordination took so long and I couldn't decide if I needed to cross that threshold to ordination because there was so much resistance from my own family, especially my mom. My brother told me uh, that I, sh I need to stop telling this story because it looks bad on my mom. But it's actually, <laughs> as I said, it's not a story about mom. It's actually a story about me. You know, I went home one time and told my mom I needed to get ordained. And she said, over, literally over my dead body. And uh, she said, you can get ordained, but you got to wait until I die. I went back home a couple of years later and I said to my mom, uh, you got to you got to bless me to get ordained or you got to die soon. Choose. You choose. <laughs> because I told her I wasn't going to get blessed without her blessing me. Uh -huh. And, you know, because I do I do so respect my mom because she's a prayer warrior and such probably one of the most faithful people that I know. It, it took her 10 years to come around. I always felt like I had my feet on both sides. But the woman who actually walked with me, even as I was straddling, was uh, the Korean American uh, Presbyterian clergywoman, which uh, it was a group that started when I was uh, very young. <laughs> well, you know, when I graduated from the seminary, this group got started. So now we're celebrating our 30th anniversary this year. Because back then, you know, as working at a church as a full-time staff person and not feeling that community of people who are doing what I was doing, I really, I always went back to this group and they would always ask me, so where are you at? Have you made any movement? <laughs> and every year they would encourage me to, and affirm, affirm that sense of, you know, call and, and really, really kind of kept me um, accountable to that calling that I had received literally helped me to cross that threshold to say, yes, I will get ordained. Yeah. Some of my closest friends are still part of that group. So that is commendable, Marianne, that you waited for 10 years for your mom to give you a green light. Yeah. yeah. And I give my mom credit. She didn't tell me that she was secretly praying that I would get ordained. Oh, is that right? Today, yeah. The day I announced, Mom, <laughs> I'm getting ordained. She said, answer to my prayer. Hmm. So, you know. See, my mom had been praying that I would become the pastor's wife. <laughs> so, Be careful of what you pray for, right? <laughs> but sad reality is that even today, there are many women who are being told to be a pastor's wife when they are gifted and gifted pastor with a pastoral heart. We create this lab just precisely for that. 
what do you envision that we would journey together with the woman? We are super excited that many are signing up. And let's kind of imagine what will happen. I do think there's a power in stories. And I think there's a power in collective stories. So as we hear one another's stories, I mean, we could probably spend hours. I could probably spend hours with Charlene just to talk about the stuff that even that came out here. And I do think uh, we need to hear one another's stories and to be strengthened from our collective stories together, right? And so I'm super excited to hear the stories of women of different journeys, different doors that they're knocking on or that they are beating down on or they're they're walking through. Uh, I am super excited about the hermeneutical uh, aspect of really looking at scripture and finding God in God's word uh, where our power and gifting comes from. Yeah. And to claim those stories as our own stories and see the spirit that is well and alive in each of the women that we encounter, but in the word as we encounter the word. So I'm, I am super excited about, um, about this process because I think it can be incredibly growing. One, I love the paradigm that you have designed, Young, about mutuality and about partnership because I think those are the paradigms in which we women can um, create a new paradigm in the life of the church. It's a lab that, that we can say, it's not going to be easy, I don't think, but I think it'll be incredibly powerful and, and a growing experience for everybody, faculty, uh, whatever age or experience you have, we have to always constantly be growing and learning. And so I think this is this is going to be a wonderful exchange of ideas and of lives. As I'm listening to your story, knitting images came to my mind. We are knitting our lives together, and we don't know what kind of product and product we may end up with, but um, yes. How about you, Shalim? I got excited about Pastoral Lab hearing Marion <laughs> describe what she's excited about. I'm like, yes, there's power in stories. Uh, and, and you know, to know what we think is a very small, particular experience has power. And if we can make meaning, we can only make meaning of something if we've had a chance to bring it language so that it can be in a public space to be looked at and to be... Um, I guess, pu publicly affirmed or legitimized, then we can seek to understand our experiences and then that empowers our sense of our, our identity. And when we are able to encompass all of our identity and bring all of that strength to the collective, then there is a collective power. It's not just, just a group of women who are together and there's power inherent in that gathering. But when we are able to thoughtfully, critically, reflect on our experiences and from telling our stories recognize that my story is important and valuable for God's redeeming work in the world as we're called to become you know mouthpieces of hope of, of the good news there is that power um, I also have this personal um, desire to see, what happens? Yes, certainly there's an openness to this knitting. What will the final product be? But I hope there would be a dimension of that final product that really nudges 
the church and particularly the Asian American church to push beyond our insulated concerns over our own spirituality and our own church health or church growth to really understand you know the gospel of Jesus Christ beyond the walls of the church quote unquote walls and in particular in public witness in civic engagement which I think is sorely missing and lacking in the Asian American church as a whole. I think there are individuals across the country who are Asian American pastoral spiritual leaders who are engaged. There are nonprofit Asian American agencies and community organizers who are engaged in a systematic and and structural way. And perhaps the previous generation did not really have the channels to know how to galvanize the our our power as a community to penetrate or to be part of the larger kind of national or even global conversation but i think those channels have been available to us if we are willing to seek those out and i see that the church has a call and have and has power to um, create a coalition to be a voice, to maybe not a voice where we all agree, but at least a generative voice to speak out when issues are happening, whether we're directly impacted by those issues or not. But I don't see that that bold public witness in the leaders who are currently established in Asian American ministries, and they happen to be majority male. And so I wonder if this these cohorts or clusters of of women who are going to you know build and and bring fortitude to our voices can be leaders in moving the Asian American church to be bold and to make statements and to take action together that impact lives and people and communities beyond our immediate Asian American context Assaults against Asian Americans are surging. And I was inspired by Black and Asian American rallying in Northern Cal. This is precisely the right time for us to enter into that public arena with a prophetic witness. Let's take Asian American Christianity beyond the four walls to really reclaim the gospel. As mentioned on this episode, Isaac is heading a new initiative called Pastoral Lab, which will create opportunities for women to preach from their own hermeneutics and give them the financial organizational skills for them to flourish in their ministries. If you'd like to help us with this initiative, please consider donating at isaacweb.org.